Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. Thanks for listening to the Political Rewind podcast. Be sure to like and follow us and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are really coming down to it. The final day of early voting takes place uh, throughout the day today. So far, uh, something like a million and a half people have cast ballots in this shortened early voting runoff period. Candidates heading into the final weekend of campaigning. Uh, and by all accounts, this race remains neck and neck. We'll talk about all of that, plus a really interesting story about national uh, Democratic Party politics, President Biden has proposed that Georgia be bumped up on the primary calendar schedule starting in 2024 to become one of the earliest states to cast ballots. That's significant, and I'll ask our panel to talk with me about why it's significant uh, at some point during the show today. But let's get right to it, introduce everybody, and uh, start talking about the runoff election. Jim Galloway is with me as he is on Fridays. You know him as a former political columnist for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Jim, I'm just curious. Do you recall the first election campaign that you really were um, involved with as a reporter? Maybe not full-time, but can you think back? It's been a long time, I'm sure. Uh, 1984 and Reuben Askew, the presidential wow. race. okay. F- or then oh, maybe that okay, was 88. Fine. That might have been 88. I frankly can't remember um, uh, back to that. But uh, yeah, the point is you've been doing it for a long time. (laughs) Uh, Riley Bunch joins us uh, today. Riley, um, you're a relative, you're a younger uh, journalist uh, at at GPB. You cover public policy for us and elections and campaigns. Um, When did you start looking at uh, political campaigns uh, and, and elections? You know, I hate to admit that right when I got to Georgia was the first big, you know, presidential and Senate campaigns that I've covered. But it's been a crash course for sure. (laughs) So there you're talking the 2020 presidential election. Mm -hmm. Margaret Coker is here. Margaret, so much of your journalistic career has been covering important international stories. Um, Afghanistan, Iraq, The Wall Street Journal, New York Times. Um, but I and now you're the editor in chief of the Current, uh, which is based out of Savannah, a, a digital publication that uh, people can read online. Um, Margaret, what do you think back on in terms of your history of covering elections and campaigns? Well, actually, my first um, U.S. electoral um, campaign coverage was shadowing the great Helen Thomas um, when she was still at oh. UPI covering Bob Dole's campaign for president back in the mid-90s, late 90s. Oh, so, what, what? Um, that, was, um, that was quite something to be, you know, in, involved with one of the elders of, you know, for, for those of us of a certain age, you know, women journalists, um, Helen Thomas was definitely the person to emulate the fearless, um, the bombastic, and the always, always questioning Helen Thomas. So that was quite amazing. What? Oh, that's so thrilling. You're right. She is an icon of American political journalism. And Renee Alegria, CEO of Mundo, now is uh, with us today. Um, Renee, you grew up in Arizona, which is now one of the real hot spots, obviously, in uh, national politics. Um, What are your earliest recollections of being involved either as an observer or in a journalistic role with campaigning? Well, you know, being the son of Mexican immigrants in Arizona that were incredibly proud about being able to vote, we were we were basically dragged to every single election, whether it be <laughs> superior court or, you know, I mean, it was it was full court press in our family. And uh, and my, my parents were just so proud to be American citizens, you know, and part of the process. And. There was uh, I have such fond memories about that and about voting. And, you know, it, it certainly wasn't as contentious as it is today. Right. It was it was 
we're doing our duty, that we're Americans now, let's get it done. And afterwards, we would we would get um, chili dogs after every election. <laughs> <laughs> and, I love that. We get chili dogs, you know, and that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, the way, that's the way it works in my mind still. Uh, thank you for that, Renee uh, Alegria. My first full-time campaign was covering the 1983 uh, election of Harold Washington, the first black mayor of Chicago, and that was right before I came down here to uh, Atlanta. All right, I just wanted to hear a little bit about that from all of you, because what it means is we're all so excited to have finally another election to cover, but I think also we're all weary and glad, like all of you out there who are listening, that this thing is finally coming to an end. Jim, let's start by looking at the most recent poll. CNN dropped one this morning. There have not been a lot of polls of this runoff election, um, but the ones that have been produced, and I can only think of about, oh, maybe half a dozen at most, all, like CNN, have basically come to the same result. This race shows Warnock a little bit ahead with a slender lead. In the CNN poll, he's ahead of Walker 52 to 48 percent, but that's within the margin of error. And we should point out, Jim, that that can go either way. I mean, that can mean that, in fact, this race is tied, or it could mean that that Warnock has an even more significant lead over Walker. But um, let's start by just talking about uh, that uh, margin. Yeah, listen, we're in a kind of a a moment where I think those specific numbers uh, matter less than they ever have before. Because this is, I think it's it, a poll right now is a, is a is a is a is a good measure of the temperature of the water in which the fish are swimming right now. No, it's it's, but you got to get the fish to the ballot to 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 the, to the polls. Each individual fish. That's that's what this is all about. I, I would be more interested in rather than the horse race numbers. I would I would look, be looking at numbers that 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 talk about enthusiasm. Uh, where the where the uh, where the emotion is in in the final four days, and 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 you know just judging from judging from uh, from crowd sizes from from campaign schedules, uh, right now you'd have to say it's it's on Warnock's side. Um, well, let's talk about that, and we'll uh, include some conversation about the polling data within it. Riley, you were at an event with uh, former President Obama, a, a Warnock a rally. Um, here in Atlanta. Um, tell us a little bit about the enthusiasm you saw there, the size of the crowd, um, and we'll play a so- some sound of, uh, of the former president in just a minute. Yeah, absolutely. This was his second time here this election cycle. I don't know if five years ago you'd think that that would happen, um, but it was a very big crowd, several thousand people at Pullman Yards in Atlanta. Um, and it was similar, you know, similar themes that we heard. It is that get out to vote push, right? Um, Obama implored the crowd to get to the polls. And he also talked about not only the race in terms of significance in Georgia, but having an at that extra seat in the Senate and why that is so important, you know, talking about accomplishments that Warnock had passed or prescription drug prices, gun legislation that they were able to do with the majority. So it was a big, big push, final push to get people out there and say, you know what, your vote really matters right now. It was really an impassioned speech. Let's listen to just a brief portion of what the former president had to say. A lot of you may be feeling pretty good because a few weeks ago, people turned out to vote, and as a result, Democrats still have control of the Senate. I'm here to tell you that we can't let up. I'm here to tell you we can't tune out. We can't be complacent. We have to run through the tape. And that means all of us doing our part to make sure that Raphael Warnock goes back to being the United States Senator from the great state of Georgia. Um, Margaret, there is no bigger star in the Democratic Party than Barack Obama, and um, it, it would, we don't know whether or not his uh, impassioned uh, call for people to turn out at the polls will be successful or not, but, um, but certainly having him come in at the last minute is very important 
for uh, Warnock, yes? Absolutely, right. And and as Jim said, it's, it's a turnout game. It always has been. And, you know, our turnout numbers across Georgia are incredibly high for early voting, right? We have, at this point, about uh, 21% of the total electorate have come out and vote. I will say here in coastal Georgia, you know, Chatham County is the fifth or sixth um, most uh, most populous county in terms of registered voters. And Chatham County is, is lagging behind that 20% turnout statewide. Uh, the rest of our counties in coastal Georgia are much higher than that. And today, I guess there's no surprise that Reverend Warnock, who is a son of Savannah, is here on the last day of early voting and will be having some campaign events. So, you know, I, he's, he's really... Um, He's really going all out, you know, and, and pressing a lot of flesh and and trying to get his base and more than his base turned turned out. Um, and I think that's um, that's that's the problem right now for Herschel Walker. No matter what the polls say, it's like it's the excitement on the Republican side for the candidate since the Senate control is not really up to Georgia at this point. Um, excitement seems to be lagging, at least here in, in, in our part of the state for the Republican candidate. Um, that is that is an interesting observation. I do want to say um, that here in Atlanta uh, yesterday, uh, Kelly Leffler, uh, who, of course, held that Senate seat briefly, uh, had an event of her own, Women for uh, Walker. Uh, she is part of this larger Republican machinery that is has been put in place. Brian Kemp's get-out-the-vote machinery. Leffler's got her organization now. So you're right to wonder, Margaret, whether that will be successful in getting uh, Walker's voters out to the polls. Um, But, of course, the same question could be asked, will those Democratic voters turn out for uh, Raphael Warnock as well? Um, So, Renee, let let me um, uh, go on and talk a little bit more about this CNN poll and see what you think. Um, when people were asked about uh, whether they had a favorable or unfavorable view of the candidates, 50% said they have a favorable view of Warnock. Only 39% said they had a favorable view of Walker. And 52% said they had an unfavorable view of Walker, while 45 had an unfavorable view of uh, Warnock. But here was another thing that I thought was interesting. Um Asked whether they think the candidates are well qualified to serve in the Senate, 52% of likely voters said, yes, Raphael Warnock is well qualified. 27% said Herschel Walker is well qualified. Renee, how does that square with the fact that this race is a dead heat? Well, a, a few a few things. I mean, as, as Jim pointed out, this is, uh, you know, polls are the temperature of the pond, right? Is that you called it a pond or the water? Um, not exactly something that you can follow as an indication of where things are going. There are a lot of question marks, I think, out there. I, I do think, though, that everything that's coming out, um, whether it be anecdotally or through a poll, suggests uh, on the Republican side for Walker. Um, you know, there's that there's that uh, very interesting, almost dramatic. Uh, crisis of the soul that Duncan had while he was in the the voting booth, right? The way it was described, it was like he really had this, you know, thing to 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 really whether he was going to vote, what what who he was going to vote for, and then he he left the voting booth and didn't vote for anyone because he said that neither candidate appealed to who to who he was, right? And this is someone who's publicly out talking about this um that's influential you know that's an indication of what what is going out there uh in people's minds and how they're working toward whether they're going to vote for walker or not and i think that's something to to really pay attention to with regard to obama uh and last night you know talk about he's uh he's in many ways the uh political heisman winner of the democratic side right um (laughs) And there he went, and he pushed the team right past the goal line, you know, in many, or at least got everyone to the first yard line. Um, the, 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 the sheen that he has and the command and power that he has to really galvanize energy is something to behold. And I think that is going to feed the excitement on the uh, Democratic side in a big way. 
By the way, for listeners who are not familiar with the story you told a minute ago, it was Jeff Duncan, the Republican lieutenant governor of Georgia, who told CNN, yeah, I went into the, I waited an hour to vote. I looked at the ballot and I said, I can't vote for either of these guys. That is uh, a quite a statement by a Republican office holder in uh, Georgia. Uh, Riley, jump in. You know, I think that when you're looking at the CNN poll, there's an important line where it says, while nearly half of those back um, Walker, it's more about or what nearly half of those who say they back Walker, it's more about an opposition to Warnock. And when you really drill down into that, too, I think it's also really about an opposition to just Joe Biden, because that is the campaign that Herschel Walker is running. Right. It's, you know, a vote for um, Raphael Warnock is a vote for Joe Biden. And I think that that's where you see this disparity in people thinking, you know, Walker is not my favorite candidate and do I like everything he says and do I like everything he does? No, but that's more of an opposition to the Democratic Party as a whole. And I think that that will play into it. And that's why we see Herschel Walker's message still being so centered on tying Warnock to Joe Biden. Mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Tying, tying Warnock to Joe Biden and still ginning up social conservatives with with a with a the a litany of 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 his of 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 grievances this on on Walker's uh, part, but 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 Bill Jeff Duncan and that 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 CNN poll question that you asked that's precisely what I was talking about emotional indicators uh, that that, mm. that 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 could be driving this race and and you know with 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 Jeff Duncan in particular you know of course this is the dog that doesn't bark. I I think that the greatest GOP fear right now are 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 voters just simply sitting on their hands and saying I can't do this I'm going to stay out of this one. That's uh, yeah. if if and and you can kind of see that happening in some of the numbers. Uh, 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 I was looking this morning at at the uh, at the uh, at uh, the 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 daily list of early voting that uh, that Gabe Sterling over in the Secretary of State's office has put out. And and so you say so you you take a you take a a, a a pretty strong Republican county like Forsyth. They've got ninety six. They had ninety six hundred votes cast yesterday. Then you go down to Fulton. They had twenty nine thousand plus votes cast just yesterday. DeKalb County had twenty four thousand. Those are those uh, both of those are, are heavily Democratic county. Gwinnett's in the same boat. Twenty thousand. So uh, let's talk about that early vote and how it uh, it's going to line up compared to voting on uh, next Tuesday. So, Margaret, uh, let me frame it this way. Uh, Emerson College put out its poll uh, yesterday for the Hill. And uh, I, I always like to point out that because people aren't really as familiar with Emerson, they have an A rating from 538 for their polling. So they're considered to be a really um, a strong poll a polling organization in terms of their methodology and results. And here's, listen what they said. They found that among early voters, early voters who they uh, canvassed, 63% voted for Raphael Warnock. Only 34% cast ballots for um, Herschel Walker. But when they asked to, for people who were going to vote day of, it reversed. 52% said they'll vote for Walker, 44% said Warnock. Now, I think, you know, I mean, that's a poll. It's not actual election data. But, of course, the Walker people would like it to be higher than just a 52-44 spread on election day. Yeah, I, I think those um, those statistics that you just told us aren't surprising, right? I mean, there's, there's a, there's a time-honored tradition among many older people um, and and uh, people across the state, they love to vote on election day. It feels like it is somewhat of a celebration of being American. It is a um, projection of of the both the duty and the honor of being able to choose our government in this republic. So that's um, so so right. I mean, it is going to come down to you know midnight next Tuesday when we see how many people have actually turned out um, on election day to see which candidate is ahead, of course. 
but the early voting numbers um, have to be um, have to also be celebrated. There are um, plenty of working Georgians who needed that weekend of early voting in order to be able to do their duty and have the honor of casting a ballot because they can't get off work from nine to five. Whether you're a um, an emergency room nurse or a doctor who's overbooked because uh, because everybody um, is is needing your attention during the work week, whether you're a librarian who's sitting there and trying to, you know, help um, help literacy rates across Georgia. There are plenty of people who need it that weekend. So we'll also see on, on next Tuesday whether the lines that we've all um, watched and, and experienced um, up, uh, up until today are, are also going to be repeated. Those lines on Tuesday might deter the folks who have waited to to, to actually cast a ballot um, on election day, waiting two hours is no joke, especially if the weather is turning colder in in parts of northern Georgia. So um, it, it's, it's we're all going to be walking the tightrope. Um, so are the candidates until Tuesday evening. Yeah. Yeah. Chuck Williams of WRBO was on yesterday and he pointed out that there's a rain forecast for uh, much of Georgia, something like 40 plus percent and nothing like rain to uh dampen people's spirits about voting. Renee, we had invited you to do the show before we learned just this morning about a significant decision that you at Mundo uh, made. And um, so I want to give you a chance to talk about it and to frame it for us. Mundo now is not in the business typically of endorsing candidates for office. But in this case, you made a decision to do it. Talk to us a little bit about what you uh, published on your website. Sure. It, it, um, well, the editorial board came together. Uh, we had a, an all-hands staff meeting to discuss what the state of politics is doing to and for our Latino community. And, you know, it was, it was a meeting that was, you know, vociferous and as journalists are, you know, everyone had an opinion and it was awesome. And, you know, uh, but we, we ultimately came to the decision that we needed to be a part of the discussion in a different way that uh, ethnic media is largely ignored by so many politicians um, that we needed to do something to really make sure that they understand we matter our community matters uh and so we have officially endorsed uh rafael warna for for senate uh in in the hispanic community um it's something that uh you know today's info uh journalism media world uh folks have been the general market have kind of pulled back on endorsements and that's typically not the case and historically, and we just want to get back back to that. Um, with respect to our numbers out there, you know, L- Latinos are roughly 5% uh, of all voters in Georgia. Um, and if, if just, if the election is separated by 1%, um, Latinos could provide a key margin for uh, victory, you know, and also Latinos provided a roughly 80,000 vote net advantage for Warnock on election day in November. Um, and you see all of this coming together and, you know, folks need to pay attention to where the Latino vote is going in this, in this, in this state. And we aim to provide the facts uh, as, as best we can report them and how those facts uh, better the lives of Latinos in, in Georgia. And uh, I read and- your, I apologize. I did not mean to interrupt you. Um, let me just uh, uh, ask you a question about your editorial. I, I, I noticed two things that stood out for me. One, uh, you, you t- talked about the fact that you think Warnock, who has uh, been able to uh, uh, make available grants to a number of uh, Hispanic organizations uh, in, in the state, uh, and that was one of the things that, that motivated you to endorse him. I also talked about price of insulin, which was one of the major campaigns that he undertook as a senator to lower the costs. Um, but you also had another point. You talked about the fact that he was on the board of a company that accepted a large PPP uh, loan, even as he himself was disparaging it, 
and that that company laid off 90% of the workers at its hotel. I'm not quite sure of the details of the hotel. You don't go into it. But one of the lines in the editorial is, and we know who works in hotels, uh, Hispanics. Right. I, you know, part of our function is to not just uh, report from an ideological perspective what is happening out there. And I think it's so easy for the media to do so. At the end of the day, though, you know, we know our community. We can acknowledge that uh, the hotel industry, the restaurant industry, so many industries, uh, farming, et cetera, are supported by the workers of Hispanic descent that are out there doing the work. And that is not uh, a blind spot for us. So Walker's record on that particular issue stung us. Uh, with with regard to, to Warnock, um, you know, yes, not only is he is he out there actually engaging with our community, which is, you know, doesn't happen quite often, right? This is something new in today's Georgia politics, but he's out there and he's addressing and he's putting dollars to uh, what his words are. Uh, you know, he, he helped commit almost 500,000 uh, to Ser Familia, this amazing organization uh, led by uh, Belisa Urbino that helps families all, from all across from education to family planning, et cetera, those are that's hard dollars that were that will go into the Hispanic community. He also uh, facilitated almost three hundred thousand uh, from Congress to support Latino entrepreneurs um, through the Georgia Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. It was the biggest you know type of of donation ever, um, and that matters. Um, so thank you for uh, telling us about your editorial, and uh, people can go on to Mundo now and and uh, read it in, in either English or Spanish. Jim, let's let's not leave Herschel Walker out of this conversation. He's now got Brian Kemp actively uh, promoting his candidacy. Um, he's doing a direct-to-camera commercial, uh, telling people to get out and vote for Herschel Walker, as I mentioned a little while ago. He's turned over his get-out-the-vote machinery to uh, Walker, and that's no small thing. So the, the endorsement by the most popular Republican in Georgia, Brian Kemp, is no small thing, except that Brian Kemp isn't on the ballot uh, this time around. Right, right. And, and, and uh, it, it's... <sighs> Brian Kemp was walking such a tightrope uh, between uh, Trump, Trump uh, boosters and and uh, uh, your more traditional Republicans that it's you know it's it's hard to say that he is uh, yes he's probably he, right now yes he is probably the most uh, uh, popular Republican in in Georgia but it's it's hard to see how that transfers uh, to Walker right now. Uh, it, it, it's it's created quite a dilemma for the Republican Party, and, and it, uh, I, I think I, I don't want to I don't want to leave this show without uh, pointing out the just the the the, the, the huge historical impact that a, that a Warnock victory would have here. Look, uh, for 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 decades, Republicans have had a, a, just an absolute lock on the four four week runoff in Georgia. It's it's just it's just been uh, it's been an incredible in, in advantage, and it's one of the reasons I'm sure why they they ditched the nine week runoff that that got uh, that that put Warnoff and uh, Ossoff in office uh, in in 2001, I mean uh, 2021. So so just the fact that this is that this is hap that this that Warnock has an edge right here, if 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 we can call it that. I think is is really astounding, and it might have implications for what happens uh, to Georgia's insistent on uh, on the fifty percent plus one rule uh, rule in general elections. Yeah, whether or not we need to eliminate the runoff system, that's the subject we're going to address on this show. That's for sure. Riley, uh, last comment before we get to a break. You know, I just wanted to jump in with um, the conversation about Kemp campaigning for Walker. And I, I think, you know, it can't hurt, but it's hard because they had such different messages 
and such different focuses on the campaign trail. And we even see that with events that are happening, like Governor Kemp coming out and condemning the dinner at the White House between President Trump and the white nationalist and Kanye West, right? He's taking a stance against these things, but Herschel Walker has to feed into that base, right? So it's really hard to walk that tightrope. But Governor Kemp, you know, is the best can or surrogate they have right now, right? He's the best endorsement that they have right now. So it's a, it's a tricky balance. Um, all right. Riley Bunch gets the last word on the first segment of Political Rewind. Lots more to talk about, and we'll keep going after these messages. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Margaret Coker, Riley Bunch, Renee Alegria, Jim Galloway, all join me for uh, today's edition of Political Rewind. Um, let's turn away from the Senate runoff for a few minutes. I'll probably come back to it toward the end of the show because I'm curious what all of you as journalists are going to be watching for in the final days of the campaign. But Margaret, let me turn to this a very interesting proposal that President Biden has now endorsed. The Democratic National Committee has had a study group looking at whether or not they need to reorder the uh, uh, the states and the order in which they vote in primaries in presidential years. Um, we know, of course, that traditionally Iowa's caucus goes first, followed by New Hampshire, and then states uh, follow out of that. By the way, we should remind people, Margaret, that it was 1976 that Iowa had its first uh, Democratic caucus, and Jimmy Carter took advantage of it. He, They understood that this might be a good place in a small kind of environment to um, make an impact. And Hamilton Jordan said, let's go to Iowa. Yeah, this is um, this is a huge surprise, right? I mean, Democratic uh, uh, state committees were also surprised by this news from Biden yesterday. But in a lot of ways, it's overdue in terms of where we are as a country and where Americans are moving to. You know, sort of year after year, when the census um, figures come out, we see that Americans are moving from back from the Midwest to the South. The Great Migration is reversing. Um, they're also moving out West. Nevada is one of the um, one of the strongest demographic representations of where America is. Um, to Renee's point about where Hispanic workers are, what, what industries they're in, Nevada represents so much there. Georgia, South Carolina, you know, we are moving towards a majority minority or a split purple state, right? And I think Biden owes a lot of his own um, uh, you know, uh, electoral success during his presidential race to the Southeast and the Midwest. But in terms of where we are as America, this is no surprise. And I think it's going to be um, a really interesting barometer of where we go over the next 10 years when we're electing at least our federal officials and our national leaders. Yeah, uh, Jim, uh, we should say a couple things. Number one, um, uh, 76 was not the first Iowa caucus, it was, but it was the first caucus that a candidate of Jimmy Carter made it into a major event uh, nationally. But the, the rest of the story is that whether Democrats may very well be moving to, and they are likely to go along with what Biden suggests, Iowa will fall out of the picture, uh, and uh, it will not be, the caucuses will not be, uh, uh, first. Um, instead, uh, they will move to South Carolina and uh, and then uh, and Nevada. And then we'll see uh, New Hampshire, but then Georgia and Michigan moved way up on the schedule. And of course, a lot of that has to do, Jim, number one, with how important South Carolina was for uh, Biden in winning the primary there, but it also has to do with Democrats saying we need to have early states that have significant black populations voting. Right, right. Uh, and with all due respect to Carter, you, you, you simply don't get that out of, uh, out of Iowa. Uh, uh, you, you have to go back to uh, 
uh, you have to go back to the 2020 race, uh, first, first of all, and, 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 and point out the fact that these caucuses are really problematic when it comes to tallying votes and figuring out uh, what the results are. I don't think a- AP has yet to call the results of the 2020 Democratic caucus in Iowa. Never did. Never did. <laughs> it was so convoluted and chaotic. Yeah, and the other thing to remember here is is that South Carolina is the state that 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 made Joe Biden president. That he was not doing well in New Hampshire. He was not doing well in 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 Iowa. Come South Carolina, uh, Jim Clyburn, uh, the 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 House uh, House Whip, uh, endorsed him, and boom, it was it was all different. So I, I think uh, there's there's a little bit of perspective here. I mean, it bodes really it bodes for a really. Uh, I know you folks are exhausted with politics right now, but it, it bodes for a, <laughs> a, a just a a, a very uh, exciting year, a political year in Georgia in 2024. Because remember, Atlanta has not yet. Uh, it's still in the running for the 2024 Democratic National Convention. Yeah, that's a very good point, um, Renee. Uh, neither Iowa nor New Hampshire, the Democrats are saying, represent the diversity of the United States uh, at all, whether it's the black population, the Hispanic, Asian population. And so this has a lot to do with why Democrats are saying we better front load states that, in fact, are more representative. And George is one of them. Yeah, look, it's it's a part of the process of uh, the country moving in the direction of modernity, right? I mean, it's bringing folks uh, into the process that actually represent the diverse uh, electorate of the entire country. Uh, People of color have long thought when Iowa was first, like, okay, you know, you, you, you just, you would see images and it wasn't all reflective of, uh, you know, everyone else right and i'm not you know there's no knock on iowa obviously it's you know good people etc etc but you really do want if it's going to be first and it's going to be a sample of the tone of what the nomination process is to really say okay this is who we are as 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 voters um what one one thing about the caucus System, though I mean, Jim brings up such a I I I laugh because you you had these images right of people in like a basketball court right and they're you know they're grouped and sitting down in one corner and then another corner and it looked like a dodgeball game right and they would have to be moved <laughs> to the corner and that was a part of our modern electoral system and it just felt so disconnected. Um, even back then, right? Now, it's just really not not in play in the way we need it to be uh, to really have a better representation of who our votership is. So, yeah. So, Riley, uh, the Democrats, we, we, this is not a done deal. Uh, this is a recommendation. There's going to be a vote by uh, 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 one group of the Democratic National Committee. I believe it's today, but it will not be finalized until their uh, mid-year uh, meetings uh, in, in, I think, January. But it's likely to go through if that's what President Biden says he wants. But here's what's interesting about the fact they'd put it in place in 2024. It's kind of a safe way to do it, and they create something of a buffer if, in fact, Joe Biden follows through on what he says he's going to do, which is he'll run for re-election. The primaries will have nowhere near the significance they'll have, say, in 2028. Well, definitely. When you have another president running or a president running for another term, it's it, the changes in the system don't make as big of an impact. Right. Um, but I kind of wanted to go back to a point that Jim made and bring this back to what this means for Georgia and underscores the important in Georgia, Georgia politics going forward. I think there was a lot of disappointment after the midterm with the statewide races, losses for Democrats on the statewide races in particular. And but now is the time for Democrats to pour more resources into Georgia and kind of bolster those voters more, right? And I I think that that's an important going forward for the state. And that's why we see we might not have calm politics moving forward. It's going to continue to be this battleground state. 
Margaret? I'm really interested in the wake of this announcement. If it does go through that Georgia moves up the ranks for the Democratic primaries, what are state Republicans going to do? I can't imagine that state Republicans would look at this um, cross-eyed. I think it would be incredibly beneficial to people like Jeff Duncan and Brian Kemp. I mean, Georgia Republicans have played a huge role in national politics since the time of Newt Gingrich. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing for individual politicians in our state who have aspirations for national office to also get a bump up the Republican primary uh, calendar as well? Well, I think you make a good point. First of all, the Republicans apparently are not going to change the order of their primaries. Um, and, and it will be interesting to see how here in Georgia, a, a, a state that will continue to be controlled by uh, Republican office holders will uh, deal with this issue. But Jim, I think it's important that we take a look at history as we discuss this. In 1992, uh, then-Governor Zell Miller was a passionate supporter of Governor Bill Clinton for president. And uh, in, in fact, it was, it was uh, uh, Zell who gave Carvel and Begala uh, essentially over to Clinton because they had run his 1990 governor's race here. We all got to know James and Paul pretty well. And uh, uh, Clinton uh, decided to use him because Zell Miller said they were so good. Okay, so in 92, uh, Clinton is, has, is, is working for the Democratic nomination. Georgia has a fairly low spot in the order of primary states that year. And Zell Miller, in January, went to the legislature and asked them to move up the date of the Georgia primary so that it would follow New Hampshire, because Miller thought that he could get Clinton over the top uh, uh, in Georgia. And that's what happened. Uh, Clinton came out of New Hampshire. He did not do well up there. Carvel dubbed him the comeback kid, but his comeback was pretty tepid. He came the day after the New Hampshire primary. We all flew back down, and Clinton had a big rally with Zell Miller at the CNN Center and launched his Georgia campaign. And Jim, as we all know, it was Clinton's victory in Georgia, thanks to Zell Miller moving the date up, that really propelled him to the White House. Right, and in in that in the in that gen, in the general election that followed, uh, Bill Clinton took Georgia, and I believe that was the last time that, that that Georgia went Democratic until until Joe Biden. So so it's so so these things do have an impact. To, to Riley's point, uh, they uh, uh, one 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 domino follows another, uh, and and it. I just uh, I I really like Margaret's point that this could give. Uh, Brian Kemp, uh, some really, really interesting uh, exposure. Uh, uh, we haven't mentioned the fact that he is he's formed a a a a a, a federal oriented PAC, which means that he's 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 eyeing some sort of office. Uh, I don't know whether it's it's, it's uh, likely not to be Congress. It could be a, a two thousand uh, uh, a, a a a race against John Ossoff when that term uh, comes open. Uh, uh, he could be he could be angling for for a vice presidential shot, slot, uh, and, or following Jimmy Carter's uh, move. It, it, uh, he's kind of got that folksy folksy uh, demeanor that, that 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 Carter used so well in Iowa. All right, I got into a break. By the way, I know I'm just a guy who talks for a living. I have no, you know, I'm not a good political consultant type. But I would argue that Brian Kemp, after being the CEO of the state of Georgia, doesn't want to be one of 100 guys in the U.S. Senate where he doesn't have anywhere near the kind of power uh, that you have when you're governor. We'll, we'll see exactly what happens there. Let's do this. Let's take a break and come back with more on Political Rewind. We're back on Political Rewind. Um, Renee, I want a quick question for you. Uh, we talked a minute ago about the Democrats looking to change their calendar to uh, uh, reflect uh, uh, the importance of states that have very diverse populations. Well, there's something fascinating going on in Georgia right now in that respect. When the 2023 General Assembly starts its session in January, it will be the most 
diverse group of legislators the state has ever seen. Um, there is going to be, for the first time, a Latino-Hispanic caucus because they've uh, 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 increased their numbers in the body. Uh, that's a very exciting development for the state, Renee. I, I, listen, I, I obviously think so, and so many with you know community and African American community and Asian community think so as well. You know, I mean, we are at, as a state reflective of what's going on in the rest of the country. Uh, we have some catching up to do. Obviously, this is you know not by any means okay, just a few, and that's it. You know, but still, we're headed in the right direction with a leadership that looks like us has similar collective experiences like us. We can connect with them a little bit better, uh, more authentically, you know, it's not, not so much pandering. Look, it's, it's a great time to be uh, Latino in Georgia, I, I always say, because of the excitement and optimism and purpose that we have uh, kind of galvanized here, you know. I, the, 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 uh, the national spotlight on Georgia, um, it reverberates in every part of, of this state, in every home. And you know, you, you see the, the electorate step up, right? The participation of how we vote, not just within, uh, you know, communities of color, is off the charts. And that feels good. We, this, is what we, this is what Georgia is now doing, you know? And to be part of that and to lead that uh, really signals, I think, a, 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 certainly a, a, a shift um, that I think will be felt uh, for many years to come. Riley, to expand on the uh, diversity, there are going to be 83 non-white members of the legislature. Um, there, uh, uh, there are going to be eight Asian American Pacific Islanders, uh, two Afro-Latino members. There's going to be, for the first time, a uh, woman of Arab descent, uh, 69 uh, black members, 151 white members still, but we have four Muslims. We only have one Jewish member. 81 uh, women in the legislature. So that's just to give you a, a sample of how diverse this legislature will be. It, it really means there's still, as, as really Renee points out, a long way to go. But we're seeing new faces, and, uh, and, and that can't, can't help but be a good thing for the state. I think it's also exciting and interesting to point out that this is bipartisan as well. So the Hispanic Caucus, mm -hmm. the AAPI Caucus, they both have bipartisan group of members of the General Assembly. So it'll be interesting to see how they come together and um, collaborate on issues that face these communities. But these communities are also very diverse and have a wide range of political views, right? Um, I have a story coming next week on the two new caucuses, so subtle plug there. Um, but uh, talking to <laughs> com community organizations, it'll be um, interesting to see what their priorities are and how they push these things through the General Assembly this session. Jim? Well, yeah, and, and and also remember that we do have some. Uh, uh, we, we will have two new, uh, uh, just a whole. My goodness, a whole new leadership uh, uh, of of the legislature at work here, and it'll be really interesting to see how these 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 eighty odd people uh, uh, fit into fit into the the, the program. I'm just. Uh, yes, yes, there there is some bipartisanship there, but I, I think particularly on on the the. the the issue of gender, I think Republicans have a whole lot of work to do. Uh, 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 that we that we, we we need to see more Republican women uh, in, in the legislature because that's that to me that's 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 the real uh, uh, gap there for Republicans. You know, Margaret, I, Jim makes a good point. Um, the and, and we have had Republican women on the show in the past who have said they their recruiting efforts to get other women uh, of their party to run are are hard uh, fought, and they can't they can't quite accomplish what they'd like to. And I want to say just to give you all a look behind the door here at Political Rewind, we go through that struggle in finding Republican women who are uh, confident and comfortable about doing uh, political rewind. And we're always uh, interested in expanding that group. Um, but I wonder what it's like uh, for you down in Savannah, where I think um, you're still dealing with a male-dominated uh, 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 caucus from your area. 
Yeah, that's right. There are, you know, there, we would be remiss not to remind everyone about the ongoing split in the state Republican Party. And at least where we are in coastal Georgia, many of the people who are leading the Trump uh, um, chapter of the Republican Party are women. And they tell us that they do not have space and they have not found a way to climb up the party ranks statewide. And within the um, within the Trump wing or the former Tea Party wing, they have a wide open uh, a wide open space to to both um, advocate for policies that they believe in, but also just to be organizers in a way that the state has not allowed them. Governor Kemp, of course, was trying to uh, rebalance those efforts when he appointed Kennedy Leffler to the open Senate seat um, that, mm. that she then lost. But, you know, there there has been this debate within the grand old party um, nationwide, as well as in the state, about how to be reflective of both uh, the gender issues that, that we're bringing up between women and men, but also the, um, uh, you know, diverse communities. And until the Republican Party of the state makes that right and makes that whole, I think they're going to struggle to, to win at least in, in, in the federal level. We talk about the state becoming more purple, but it also, from a federal point of view, it needs to become more inclusive of both women candidates and diverse candidates in order to succeed in the future. All right. Um, Riley, uh, you are going to be out covering events, I think, between now and uh, Tuesday. By the way, do you know what your assignment's going to be Tuesday night at this point? Yes, I will be with Herschel Walker on Tuesday night at, I think, the College Football Hall of Fame. Okay, so tell me a little bit about what you're going to be watching for in these final days of the campaign. What are the dynamics that are important? Is it all about looking to see what kind of get-out-the-vote efforts are going on around the state? Absolutely. I think enthusiasm is what you're watching, and it'll be interesting to see how Herschel Walker uses this time since he didn't campaign during the Thanksgiving weekend. Um, but also, I think, message, too, because the, one of the big differences between the candidates is we've seen Reverend Raphael Warnock's message change based on who he's targeting and where they're looking for the numbers. And Herschel Walker's message, you know, remain pretty much the same throughout the course of the election. So those will be two big things that I'm watching in the days leading up to Tuesday. Renee, what's your uh, sense of how the uh, Hispanic community will be dealing with these uh, last days? Well, I, you know, the energy is there. There's certainly, you know, the canvassing is there. There's uh, get out the vote uh, across the board. I think that that's going to be very uh, reflective in the numbers at the end of the day. What, what, I, what I'm going to be very curious to see is the uh, generational split. I think that that is something that a lot of folks don't talk about enough. I, you know, even in the Emerson poll, it was so you, you see the tilt happening, right, where folks under 50 are going to Warnock. Folks over 50 are going are, are, are going to, to Walker. We're, we've not seen a generational shift this big since uh, since the boomers um, flipped the bird to their generation, greatest generation parents and flocked to Woodstock. It's happening again. And that's going to be very interesting. I really wanted to get Margaret and Jim in on this, but we just completely ran out of time. By the way, Margaret, people can go to thecurrentga.org to read your publication, mundonow.com, I think is yours, uh, Renee, right? Okay. At Jim Galloway, Riley Bunch, thank you two for uh, being with us today. We are completely out of time for Political Rewind, but we'll be back with a brand new show on the day before Election Day on Monday. Take care, everybody and stay healthy and get out and vote. Bye-bye.